0: Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply.
1: This episode is brought to you by Jinx, the superfood-powered dog kibble everyone's been talking about. See the results for yourself and try their one-month transformation. Within the first few weeks, you'll see how Jinx can help with your dog's energy, mood, and even digestion. And it's all thanks to the high-quality ingredients they use, like organic chicken, Atlantic salmon, and grass-fed beef. Try the one month transformation today find jinx in your local walmart
0: over seven million different animals inhabit our planet
1: there could literally be a podcast just on the mantis shrimp's eyes
0: what can they teach us cavitation bubble that it that it creates that that is the 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 scientist in me that just i was like how is this how can they do this many species are in crisis and need your help join the movement at allcreaturespod.com Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris.
1: And I'm Angie.
0: <laughs> I love it when we start with the sound, and I cannot believe that is from... I, I I don't know. I've been so astounded with this creature. I This is one of the best podcasts we're going to produce in our lifetime, I have no doubt. The Mantis Shrimp, Angie. What is that?
1: The sound blew me out of the water, really. I... I heard it on a TED Talk, and then the one we opened with was from the California Academy of Sciences of the mantis shrimp making that rumble. Uh, it sounds like an alien, I don't know, a leopard. It sounds like a, a very big animal should be making that sound. But time and time again, when I was prepping for mantis shrimp this week, I, I'm i just this, this Small creature, it's- which for the record is not a shrimp or a mantis, uh, packs a humongous punch, literally mm-hmm. and figuratively. And we're going to talk all about that today. But just so many fascinating things from the sound that it makes, that rumbling mm-hmm. sound. And, and Chris and I will talk about why researchers think that they're making that sound, uh, to communicate with one another. But, I mean... From their eyesight to their punch to, that's nice. I mean, it's just it's been incredible. I mean, I, I am I'm not speechless because I have like fifty slides prepared. (laughs)
0: I'm close, I'm close, I'm close. But before we before oh. we click
1: record, Chris and I were talking about, about I, I mean, I don't normally do this much research. I was so happy that I'm actually mm-hmm. on vacation in Michigan this week because mm-hmm. I had a little bit more time that I just watched more videos. I listened to long TED Talks. The literature is very good uh, with studies about the mantis strip because they're just that much of a physiologic physiological phenomenon. hmm so so much to read. I don't feel like I'm half done. And yeah, I, uh, know. I
0: know.
1: Our goal today is to introduce you to the mantis shrimp, and especially we're going to talk a lot about today is the peacock mantis shrimp because I just think it's the quintessential representative of this mm-hmm. brightly colored crustacean that is amazing. I mean, yeah. just uh, just incredible. But I didn't realize that there's over 450 species of mantis shrimp. I know, I know,
0: I know, I know. It's like, oh, so, which what do we do? Yeah. I
1: know. So we had to pick one to, to focus a little bit of our art and to help us narrow down some of our research. But uh, of course, the elephant in the room with the mantis shrimp and what a lot of people may know about them is this movement uh, called like a fast feeding strike where they use these raptorial front appendages as punching gloves basically to knock their opponent out, literally to break shells. Just a few little cliff note hangers here. I mean, with, this, with the mantis strip and their punch, it's one of the fastest movements in the animal kingdom, if not the fastest. They're, it's strong enough to break the aquarium glass wall. Uh, So they're frowned upon by a lot of Aquarius because they cause a lot of trouble Uh, and they can open snail shells by doing this or other mollusks. Uh, They can take arms and limbs off of crabs and shrimp and this raptorial appendage when it moves to punch faster than a 22 caliber bullet probably as powerful as a lion jaw. Some researchers estimate and able to fend off an octopus. I know. That was cool.
0: (laughs) (laughs) cool.
1: Chris and I are going to do our best to explain the physiology of this and the behavior uh, about this fast feeding strike. And also they're very territorial. They have uh, very complex social behaviors Mm -hmm. uh, to tell one another to stay away from their burrows where they live. They're stunningly gorgeous uh there is no way that i'll be able to describe them i'm going to do my best uh yeah. but just a, a
0: gorgeous creature and their eyes uh, more i mean <laughs> it's every corner everywhere you turned with this this, this well this and shrimp. i it, right, it's not even I, shrimp this crustacean no it, it, and it, I, it's
1: uh, I didn't know how I've been living my life this long, not knowing this much about the mantis shrimp.
0: I know. So I know. hopefully
1: we'll get you excited today about the mantis shrimp and all just their, all their cool features. And- oh, you have
0: to listen to this one. You have to, if, if you're going to listen to, this is going to be a top five podcast for me. I, I already feel it. I already know it. Reading about this creature, the, this is an invertebrate. So it pushes me and Angie a little bit out of our comfort zone. Cause we're mainly mammalian physiology, but it's easy to, to maybe carry that over to amphibians reptiles birds but when we we go to invertebrates we get a little because we didn't study a lot of it in college. Right.
1: That's probably hence the 50 slides and studying <laughs> yes. extra long this <laughs> yeah. week.
0: D- double. I told Angie, double my time on studying this week. Well,
1: And I, and I was and it was worth too. it. Yeah. I found myself, I just went to ask one question, like what's the difference between this and this? And I yeah. found myself reading like a chapter book that I found online. And like <laughs> I was like 10 pages deep and like, oh, I'm learning all this and putting all this in my notes. I'm like, I don't know if people are going to care, but this is so cool. I care. Oh my gosh. I want to be a carcinologist, new word. Yeah. A carcinologist yeah. is a scientist who studies crustaceans. Uh, I mean, I think I'm saying that right. So, yeah, I, I just, I feel like I've literally been missing out um, on a lot of things by not learning and studying the, about these guys sooner.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, the punch one It's one of the strongest pound for pound punches in the animal kingdom creates a cavitation bubble, which we'll talk about temperatures as hot as the surface of the sun. So lots to cover today. So I actually I I pared down my other sections because I know the punching and the eyes and everything else with their physiology is going to take up a lot of this podcast. So we'll get through some of the the normal stuff we cover and then we will jump into that and explain Exactly how they can punch so strong and how they see with—they th- have complex. the yeah—they have the most advanced eyesight of any creature on Earth. Period. The mantis
1: shrimp—it <laughs> yeah. blew my mind—and <laughs> I started to dive into a lot of the physiology. And we're going to touch on it, like wavelengths and how many rods they have more than humans. But I—I I was honestly like, there could literally be a podcast just on the mantis shrimp's eyes.
0: Yes, and easily.
1: I mean, I mean, you might have to be super dorky like Chris and I, but I want somebody to do that because I, I, I'm definitely not a vision specialist or physiologist. Uh, I mean, I understand how the eye works and things like that, but not for this guy. Uh-uh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's crazy.
0: It's, yeah, it's super advanced, so we'll get there. Uh, real quick, we have big news for the All Creatures Podcast, and You know, I always like to thank our our Patreon subscribers. Thank you. You know, Angie and I are going to be doing our monthly lives. You know, please join us on there. And again, we're giving back to conservation to all the organizations that we cover each week. But also Angie and I are joining the Airwave Media Network. So you're going to start hearing some advertising. You're going to be hearing the, the buzz that we're part of the Airwave Media Network. Sorry, we were, guys. I, no, but it's it's so exciting for us because it's really going to help us grow. Yes. We are joining some of the top science and history podcasts. I love the Pirate History Podcast, one of my favorites. It's it's a top, top history podcast that they carry uh, along with Your Brain on Facts and some other really amazing podcasts that we'll be sharing with you. But what I really want to highlight with that is Angie and I, as part of this this podcast and we always have believed in this in education and giving back we will give a portion of any revenue we generate which we're generating a little bit now but when we start getting bigger and bigger and bigger we are going to give back to every organization we cover each month and we don't know of any other podcast that's doing that but because we we love these organizations and what they do we want to support them and so we're putting our money where our mouths are right
1: Absolutely. And that was the thing for me. I'm like, I don't want to sell out and do ads. We've gone this long without having ads. But then I was like, wait, if we can do ads to generate some revenue, to give back to conservation organizations that desperately need Mm -hmm. uh, more revenue and more um, exposure, you know what? Sign me up. That'll be awesome. And then the biggest part, like Chris mentioned, with this network is to help us grow, which means internationally, we'll get more numbers, reaching more people, helping educate more people about the species that we love and their conservation plights. And that's always yeah. been our mission. And so as much as I'm not necessarily a fan of commercials and ads and things like that, unless they're really good ones, of course, uh, I do think that this this will benefit our mission, which will hopefully ideally uh, help animals out there and uh, help people get connected to nature and want want to do more to conserve them and conserve their environments.
0: Yeah, and we're not talking sending five dollars. I mean, you know, we're, we're we're talking substantial amount, at least a twenty five percent, if not more, of any revenue we make. We're gonna punch push back to those organizations. So, um, you know, well, we'll and then as we grow in in the years to come, you know, we'll we'll keep you updated on that because you know it 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 warms my heart when I can send you know wire money to. You know, Sloth Conservation Foundation, or I know O Search. We sent a big chunk of money, and I'm thinking, oh man, I bet you they bought some chum, or maybe I just bought, you know, some. Well, now today, a few gallons of diesel, but you know, back then it was like, oh, maybe we we help fill up the boat so they can go out and and look for sharks. So it does warm me up, and and so I just want to say thank you to the listeners for supporting us and you know helping us share this message. Okay, so that was big news because that is breaking, that is going on now, but we got to move on to the, to this mantis shrimp. There's so much to cover. Such a phenomenal, beautiful, I'm looking at a picture of the peacock mantis shrimp and I'm just like, it's jaw-dropping beautiful. Just the most We're beautiful studying. animal we've covered, yeah.
1: Oh, hands down, look at, we yeah. finally agree.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's easily. Like,
1: yes, yeah, just stunning, and and I'll get to the color here in one second. But I think to help uh, give you a visual on just their general body shape is once again the, the mantis shrimp or the peacock mantis shrimp is neither a peacock nor a mantis nor a shrimp, mm. but instead their body shape pretty much resembles a lobster to me, for the most part. They have very long, narrow bodies. And then regarding the color, with 450 species of mantis shrimp, they come in a variety (laughs) of different colors. Uh, Some are stunning and they're they're all actually really beautiful. And of course, the peacock mantis shrimp is probably the most stunning of all, or at least in my opinion. As the name peacock mentions, the colors are brilliant. There's greens and blues and just really brightly colored over their entire body.
0: I mean, reds, violets... Uh, purple yeah like a
1: rainbow i mean it's beautiful the colors fade into one another nicely and they really pop but in general chris what you'll see with the peacock mantis shrimp is their base color of their body is olive or green Uh, it's still pretty bright in color and they often have an orange or reddish shaped antenna scales These punching or raptorial pinches are often bright in color, sometimes red. Um, and then they'll even have leopard spots, small little leopard spots covering the lateral sides, um, the lower part of their carapace. The female, and this the ones that really pop are going to be the males similar to like the peacock bird that we all know but Birds, female yeah, yeah. yeah but females are also very are brightly colored but they're m- they're more red and orange in shade they don't have all these brilliant blues and greens as well so i'm not doing their color's justice so you'll have to check out our show notes or uh, and go to the website or just look on your phone or watch a youtube video but they're just fantastical And then the eyes, Chris, the eyes of the peacock mantis shrimp are out of this world. (laughs) They are. (laughs) They are. They are. They're stalked compound eyes. So they have like a stalk and then they are rounded and they're blue in color. And looking at them closely, you can tell there's a lot going on, but it wasn't until Till I started really reading about the physiology of the eye and the compound eye and how complex it is, how it's being studied for all these really cool things in science, trying to learn more about them to better help understand our bodies and robotics. And it's, it's, it's a whole nother podcast, I, I, I promise. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're really cool to look and they really pop. And then as far as their appendages go, arms and legs, they have 34 in total. So kind of going from the back, they have a tail that's similarly shaped like a lobster. Mm -hmm. uh, And that portion of their body is called the Telson. And then going uh, as far as walking legs go, that actually move them across like the gravel or the sand or the corals, uh, wherever they're needing to cross, they have three pairs of legs. And then... Behind the walking legs, they have what are known as pleopods or swimmerettes, but they look like 10 small legs for somebody like myself who's not an invertebrate biologist. They look like 10 10 pairs of small little legs, but they're actually gills that that are used for breathing. So that's where they filter the water in and out um, to help get the oxygen. So, really, really cool. And then, closer to the front of their body, uh, they have five pairs of legs for feeding. Uh, they have two antenna for sensory reception, and we're gonna talk a lot about that with their they have incredible olfactory senses and just out of this world. And then they have the two clubs for uh, the two appendages or the clubs for punching these raptorial appendages that are big and rounded. They're almost depending on which species of um of mantis shrimp you're talking about they can either be spear like or rounded like a hammer mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. specifically in the peacock mantis shrimp the raptorial appendages, appendages are rounded uh like a heel or a hammer or it, to me it almost looks like a boxing glove yeah so yeah, yeah and uh, they're also those are also called their um maxillopods so all these different legs—the walking legs, the eating legs, the swimming gill legs—they <laughs> all have these different names—and I was just super dorking out about invertebrate biology. And I took an invertebrate biology class many years ago, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm wishing I still had the book. And I, but I don't—I don't remember ever covering the mantis shrimp, or at least
0: in this much detail, because. It's just so fast. Oh, it needs to be covered. It needs to be covered. It's so awesome. It is. It is. Yeah, by far the most beautiful animal we've covered. It just is. I mean, there's a lot of birds that have been close, but nowhere. No, nothing's close. Nothing's close to the mantis shrimp. It's just. <laughs> I think we finally peacock. agree yeah. after
1: almost four years, Chris. Yeah, on... it's. My mind has been blown. It's yeah. just.
0: It's so but it's beautiful. fun. it's fun.
1: It was fun watching all the YouTube videos and mm-hmm. reading all the articles the um the short communication scientific articles because mm-hmm. i we're not alone. other people really love the species, you know yeah, yeah. I, I, they're really cool, but I'm describing all these like thirty four appendages mm-hmm. and, but they're not that big.
0: You're right. The peacock mantis shrimp doesn't get very large. It, it's two to seven inches. So these ones are, are a lot smaller than some of the other species. So, you know, three to 18 centimeters uh, is as is, is big as they get. Now, some of the other mantis shrimp can get up to 12 inches or 30 centimeters long. The world record, I think, is 46 centimeters or that's like almost 18 inches um and and i'll and i'll mention it in conservation briefly very very briefly but in hawaii in a bay there's mantis shrimp that are getting abnormally large so some runoff and chemicals and stuff in the water that are that are impacting them but yeah the peacock's not very very big but god they're just, just so beautiful so beautiful and i really really hope to, to see them in the wild one day you know, I need to get my uh, diving certification uh, re-upped, but they are in my region of the world. This is the peacock mantis shrimp. So they're found in the, the Indian Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, uh, you know, all on the, I guess if I go all the way west for me, which is the east coast of Africa, you know, go past Australia. So, and, and coastal waters of East Africa, up into Southern Asia, you know, the Southeastern, Southwestern portion of Asia, around India, here in the Indo-Pacific, Indonesia, North Australia uh, region is generally where you find the peacock uh, mantis shrimp. Now, all mantis shrimp, the 450 species, they're everywhere. They're in the Caribbean. They're off there in California. You know where this one researcher that was the California mantis shrimp with the uh, the sound that we opened with. So you can find mantis shrimp everywhere, but the peacock are, are kind of near me. So if I can be lucky enough to to go diving in North Australia, you know, to see them, it would just be such such a a, a treat. Now, other things we know about mantis shrimp. Is they prefer, uh, or generally the, the the peacock for sure, prefers warmer water, 72 to 82 degrees Fahrenheit or 22 to 28 degrees Celsius. But the other species I read, they could go as deep as 4,300 feet. Sure. 1,300 yeah, meters. Very
1: versatile. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's really deep. I mean, that's really deep uh, compared to the ones that are like, we're thinking of the reefs. You know, that's where these peacock, mantis shrimp live around a lot of reefs and stuff. So very, very variable habitat because I'll tell you, off the coast of California, the water is not warm. It is not Caribbean, Florida, South Florida water. It is, no, it is Pacific No, I learned that cold. the hard way. Yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> that's right. It's like, ooh.
0: <laughs> I remember that story of Sinatra peeing on somebody. Yeah. He was, yeah <laughs> San Diego, he yeah, went, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, we were at the dog beach beach. Um, Oh, yeah. La Jolla, the La Jolla Dog yeah, Beach, yeah. and yeah, yeah. yeah, there was people on there, and this poor kid was buried in the sand, and yeah. Anyways,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot, what that was like 200 episodes ago. But that was a great oh, story. So funny, I love yeah, that dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mantis shrimp, you you can find in in most of our our warmer waters, but but deeper waters too. Now, like I said, Angie, why care? Oh, this this list can be really long. I, you've already highlighted some of it, but oh my gosh, there's yeah, I, I so our, much.
1: I think our love letter in the intro.
0: <laughs> covers a lot of it. Yeah.
1: But from an ecosystem role, the peacock mantis shrimp will create uh, their own individual little burrows that act as their houses mm-hmm. near the bottom or the base of the coral reefs where they live. And they live in these burrows most of the time just waiting for to go by and just hanging out in their nice little, nice little hole of their house. But they're constantly creating new burrows and leaving and, or abandoning older ones. Mm-hmm. And what this does is it can create a lot of important habitats for other creatures that don't necessarily have the burrowing ability and all these appendages to dig and uh, have the ability to craft these, these cool little niches for them. So, and, and really important for the coral reef and all the different sea creatures that live in them and help them thrive.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's just, and, and when we get more into the striking, uh, how they do it, how they protect themselves and the eyes, there's just some crazy stuff we're learning that are having uh, implications in our own lives.
1: Well, yeah, Chris, it was really fun going into the um, scholarly literature and just seeing that there's... A ton of research papers about them not only their behavior but their physiology uh they are really well researched particularly on their vision and wanting to understand how they're able to to see what they see and then how we can utilize it as humans for uh basically like uh digital storage methods and understanding wavelength as far as it relates to data storage and how we could help increase data storage uh, at a smaller scale size.
0: So think about that real quick. A biological mechanism, because these, these have the, the most advanced eyes developed in biology, we are using in the digital world. <laughs> think about that. That is insane. Yeah. That is insane. That is insane. Well, and
1: that's why I started to go down the rabbit hole of yeah. like their eyes and just trying to learn more about it. And yeah, I just had to kind of stop and be like, okay, um, maybe on my next vacation, I've got, to, <laughs> I've got to, I've got to keep, this is just a whole other podcast. Like it, the, the literature out there is, there's a fair amount of it and there's a lot of interest in it and it's just, is really incredible. And we'll talk about how they see differently than us humans and they see more colors. And that, that sent me on a little bit of a mind Uh, what's an appropriate way to say this, like a mind bending alternate, like Mm. Mm. reality moment that I had of like, well, what colors am I missing? You know, if, yeah. So we'll talk about a little bit more in detail when we get to physiology, but their eyes just have so many more photoreceptors than our human eyes do. And so being able to see different types of color it'd be I guess it's I mean the most the biggest thing I could come up with is like it's maybe us putting like different types of sunglasses on but then also being able to see the way we see I just yeah I wonder what colors I'm missing out on or shades of colors or the way or polarizing light so colors look differently it's just
0: yeah I think I think they see colors that we we don't know we can't see or describe
1: that's what was kind of bending my mind Chris and I and it's just this this creature that I didn't have in my life until this week. Like I just haven't been living. Yes. Right. I haven't so been truly, fully living.
0: We're gonna t- we're gonna go. A Sorry, bit kids. There.
1: I love you, but
0: <laughs> I'm going back for my PhD. In oh eyesight.
1: my gosh!
0: It's a, it's incredible. It's incredible. So quickly this week, I again I, I'm paring down my section when I, I talk about impacts, environmental impacts. But it was important to bring up with our first species and. You know, last week we had an expert on about ocean plastics. We do this every July, Plastic Free July, because we need to highlight what is going on in the world with plastics and our oceans. And so that's why every July we, we do this and we cover these incredible species in the ocean. So for the uh, peacock mantis shrimp and all of their relatives and all the other species in the ocean, Briefly, I'm going to talk about plastics, and I'm going to build upon this story as we go through the month because I really want to get into microplastics and what that means for us.
1: Well, Chris, I needed to do a quick plug because yes. you led me into it very nicely uh, for our plastic-free eco challenge that All Creatures Podcast is hosting this year. Uh, I know it's early to mid-July right now when you're listening to this podcast, and It's not too late. If you have not already joined our team, go to plasticfree.ecochallenge.org and select join, sign up, and then you can search for teams. I think there's over 400 teams this year, but All Creatures Podcast has a team and there's a fair amount of us that are making small little challenges, whether they're one-time challenges. For me, um, I'm doing, I'm trying to l- learn a little bit more about environmental justice this month and about microplastics and also about how to best advocate, whether it's through writing emails or letters to companies and politicians, because that's just something I historically haven't done much of. So I want to learn about this um, this month. And just getting you thinking and talking about different ways to do that with you and uh, with your family and friends. I know it's definitely always a good time with my kids getting the conversation going, getting them starting to learn and be conscientious consumers and things like that.
0: Well, it, what it does is it, it it starts developing habits. And I've learned since we have started this a couple of years ago, my habits have changed as far as avoiding water bottles, always making sure I'm carrying my my water bottle with me to fill up um saying no to straws saying no to plastic caps um being careful when i buy uh, what i buy so it's developing healthy habits for the for the world and once you get into it you don't even miss it you know it's like oh i don't miss plastic water bottles you know And and the very few times i mean not to to go after people but i have had to buy a plastic water bottle and i'm like oh because you know, it's like I died of thirst, and I and I didn't have my my water bottle in my car. Um, that happens every now and then. And that's understandable, but definitely have drastically reduced plastic use since starting that. Yeah, and so i I just wanted to see where we were on plastic production today in 2022, recording this podcast, and then, like I said, we'll we'll build on this story moving forward in the coming weeks. So this is from the UN, UN Environmental Program. Prior to 1970, plastics were negligible, really weren't used quite a bit uh, in production of things. But since, plastics have exploded really into the 90s. And then after the 2000s, it was like single-use plastics just exploded onto the scene. Uh, Now, plastic production globally peaked in 2019 at 368 million tons, But the UN thinks the COVID pandemic shut that down, slowed it down, shut it down a little bit. So it's suppressed numbers since because now in 2022, plastic production is on the rise and they're anticipating plastic production to be at eleven hundred million tons by
1: 2050.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the stats aren't nice. So approximately 30% of all plastics produced are for single-use plastics. They're used in packaging, one-offs. And this is, this is the enemy. This, these are the ones that we're really trying to combat and, and reduce uh, our usage of. Around the world, 1 million plastic bottles are purchased every minute.
1: <gasps>
0: every minute? Every minute. Up to 5 trillion plastic bags are used worldwide every year. So that's how many plastic water bottles are being used, you know, per day, you know, since this podcast has started, that's 30 million, roughly plastic bottles purchased. So now uh, this is the problem. It's the single use. And so that is where we're, we're, we're trying to combat And in Angie's interview that we, we talk a lot about that and how it it ends up in the oceans and how how low percentage of it is actually being recycled?
1: Yes, and that's a quick plug uh, for my interview last week with Dr. Lisa Erdel from Five uh, Gyres. If you've not listened to it, I highly recommend uh, that you do. It's probably one of the more informative and eye-opening interviews that I have done in a while, and uh, she's just very knowledgeable about uh, the kind of the plastic crisis and and then solutions on how to. Reduce plastics and uh, and and what we as consumers can do uh, that's actually reasonable to help not only use less plastic but also send the message that we don't want them. We we want to be able to either use recycled plastic or other uh, other materials. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Now, just as a reminder, that water bottle takes about 450 years to to, to biodegrade in the ocean. And that doesn't take into account microplastics, which I'm going to be researching here over the the coming weeks. Cigarette butt takes 10 years. Plastic grocery bag, 20 years. Aluminum can, 200 years. Those plastic beverage holders, 400 years. Fishing line, over 600 years. So plastics in the ocean is, is is a... is a big problem. So just to kind of tie this up, cause we're going to be talking more about this and you can get more from Angie's interview last week. The good news is, is the world is waking up to this problem. Definitely. The UN recognizes mm-hmm. that they said there's been a lot of positive action, but we need to keep fighting this. We need to keep ramping up what's going on. Uh, we need to keep ramping up on how we, use plastics, r- reduce or eliminate single-use plastics uh, and and we really need to to take hold. But there is positive news, things are changing. Especially when we started this a few years ago, things have changed quite a bit and and they're so so feel good. Feel good. That's that's my take-home message. Now, in the next couple episodes, I'm going to talk about microplastics that we're finding them now in Antarctica. Uh, we're finding them in our bodies. We're finding them in these animals. I mean, even a few weeks ago or a few months ago, I talked about them finding microplastics in human placenta. So, oh yeah, it's we, a big better, we better, we
1: yeah. better, we better hope our bodies can evolve to deal with microplastics in our body. Hey there, fellow super moms. This is Angie from all creatures podcast. Are you juggling a million things at once? Like me? Between work and podcast deadlines, after school sports, taking care of the kids, and of course, all of our pets, finding time to cook nutritious lunches and dinners can feel like an impossible mission in my house. But guess what? I've found the ultimate lifesaver, factor. Picture this, delicious chef-crafted meals delivered right to your doorstep, ready to heat and eat whenever you need them. No more stressing about what to cook or spending hours in the kitchen. With over 35 mouth-watering options each week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, and more, Factor has something for everyone in the family. My husband and I are loving the vegan options, and we are also enjoying their amazing add-ons, from snacks to yummy smoothies. Factor isn't just convenient, it's budget-friendly too. So say goodbye to expensive takeout because Factor meals are dietitian approved and cost less than dining out. Plus, you can customize your plan to fit your busy schedule and pause or reschedule deliveries whenever you need to. And the best part? Zero prep, zero mess. Just pop a meal in the microwave and boom, lunch or dinner is served. So choose Factor, because every supermom like you deserves a break from meal planning, without compromising taste and health. And we all need more quality time with the creatures we love. Head to factormeals.com slash creatures50 and use code CREATURES50 to get 50% off. That's code CREATURES50 at factormeals.com slash CREATURES50 to get 50% off.
0: All right, Angie, I'm, I'm itching to get to physiology. So I'm going to get through evolution relatively quickly. Uh, the take-home message is mantis They're shrimp old. are ancient, ancient, <laughs> so ancient, ancient.
1: <laughs> Which is just from an evolutionary standpoint of uh, how they've evolved these uh, this vision and yeah. this uh, striking appendage, this powerful blow is is just brilliant.
0: It's nuts. All right. So so kingdom, they're animals. Okay. Animalia. So some people don't realize insects are animals. You know, we don't typically think of them as animals, but they are. They're in the kingdom. The phylum is anthropota. So this is the invertebrates. So that's where it breaks out. Over 10 million species. (laughs) So if you want to start an invertebrate broadcast, you have a (laughs) lifetime of material.
1: I mean, I I don't know if I, I, I'm not skilled enough to do that, but I, I hope somebody else is. And if yeah. anybody has any recommendations, send them my way because I would yeah. like to listen. Holy, yeah. Holy cow. 10
0: million species of invertebrates. And
1: they do some really, really cool things.
0: Yeah. Now, for us, we typically, you know, our phylums, chordata, mammals, reptiles, birds, fish, Etc., there's only 65,000 species. Still plenty of time for us to cover the next 10, 20 years, 30 years, however long we do this. But 65,000 versus 10 million, (laughs) it's just so many. It's so cool. Now, the subphylum for the mantis shrimp is crustacea. So this goes all the way from our crabs, lobsters, down to sea lice. And there's 67,000 species. Of crustaceans, like sixty, but you wow, know, wow, okay, some small, yeah, but you know, but the, still. The, yeah, a lot, a lot. Now the class is Malacostrica and there's forty thousand species. <laughs> Finally, we cut it down. So I imagine just the the scientists do you know, going through all these these animals is so crazy. So the order is Stomatopoda because they call them stomatopods, right? Isn't mm-hmm. that right? Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. and pods mean something with feet. I suppose, yeah. right? Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. And this is the mantis shrimp with the four hundred and fifty species. Now the family is for the peacock mantis shrimp is onodactylidae. Onodont- Chris
1: just just let let your partner help
0: you out. But. Okay, you do
1: it. <laughs> you do <their laughs> I rarely base. do it. But I think yeah. I got this one. Okay. Uh Antodactylus scalaris. Thank you, Antodactylus. Yeah, I love the right. Dactylus. It reminds me of yeah. like, I guess, a dinosaur. I don't know. I yeah, read a okay. lot of these books with my kids about dinosaur names, so there I you think. Go. And I apologize to any um, any crustacean specials out there if I am saying that wrong. Okay. Right?
0: I, but that's the best we're gonna do today.
1: <laughs> well, and I also didn't realize that the peacock mantis shrimp is also mm-hmm. known as the painted mantis shrimp, the clown mantis shrimp, the rainbow mantis shrimp, mm-hmm. or the uh, harlequin mantis shrimp. So lots of different
0: yeah. common names. Yeah, they're beautiful. They're really beautiful. All right. So that's the, the, the family eight species of mantis shrimp, and then the peacock belongs to that genus. Mantis shrimp evolution, and I thought amphibians, which we covered the glass frog last, was were old. No way. Invertebrates date way back before amphibians. So fun. Uh, around 550 million years ago is when they invertebrates emerged. <sighs> and this was during the Cambrian Explosion. So, previous to this, life was simple, one-cellular, unicellular life forms. Then you had this Cambrian explosion, which lasted about 25 million years. And this is where more complex life emerged. Multicellular animals, like the invertebrates of millipedes or anthropods, millipede-like arachnids. So, Mm -hmm. spider-like fly-like Flies first emerged uh, around this time. So this is when the invertebrates uh, came about. And this is when the crustaceans came about, about 500 million years ago. They are some of the earliest complex life forms we have on the planet. And they survived every mass extinction we've had because things in the oceans are what could survive it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mantis shrimp starts appearing in the fossil record around 350 million years ago. <laughs> so crazy, yeah. This is one of the more ancient animals. I still go back to the immortal jellyfish and and how they are still. I think the most ancient thing we've covered, but they emerged around when invertebrates emerged. So mantis shrimp, one of the most ancient animals we've covered, and they've been evolving ever since. So just fascinating, fascinating history. Fascinating animal. Well, Chris, I think it's time, my friend. Let's get started on this physiology, Angie. Let's. Do we want to talk about some of the the less exciting stuff, the like se- sexy stuff? Ah,
1: uh, you wash just... your mouth, son. There is. <laughs> I mean, okay. I, I mean, I mean their smell. Can we talk about their sense of smell for a second? Okay. They have these antennas, are also called. Antennules, I believe, that are highly sensitive to a variety of odors. In fact, they're able to detect smells in the water. And I'll just summarize it for you briefly that the amount of like olfactory nerves that these antennas have, and they're, if you can picture lobster, they're the, they're the long things that like stick out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're looking over top of them and it's similar in the peacock mantis shrimp or in other mantis shrimp and researchers for the longest time have been fascinated about these antennas in about these antennas in crustaceans and have we're studying them back in the like late 1800s early 1900s and trying to really figure out what the purpose was. And it was fun reading all the history. And this is when I got reading a chapter book and I was just, I was like, I was in it. I mean, I'm like, I'm like, this is so thrilling to me, which wow, who, yeah, who knew, right? But I'm reading all about the history of them, of the studying about their sense of smell and not really understanding what these antennas were for. But over time and uh, through experiments, they're able to find out the biology of the receptors in the antennula were very similar to olfactory receptors in other mammals. So, since then, researchers have learned that mantis shrimp have the ability to detect smells in the water. Well, and Chris, if you would have asked me a week ago, can lobsters smell or any crustaceans, I've, I would have been like, no. I mean, I just, I, it just blew my mind that not only. Can they smell? But they're actually really, really good at it because they need to be able to find mates. They need to be able to find food. Of course, they have great vision, and we're going to get to that here in a second uh, to be able to find their prey. Uh, But they need to avoid predators. Amanda's shrimp have to rely on their sense of olfaction and then these antennas or antennules to pick up tiny chemical signals or odorant molecules in the water. And it's hard to do because, well, water is a moving body. It's moving past you. And in order to pick up any smells that they need to, to eat and find mates, they are constantly using these nose-like appendages to pick up odors. And the mantis shrimp is able to sample water molecules and basically suss out, oh, well, there's a crab that I would like to eat, or oh no, here comes a predator, or ooh, there's my mate that I've been breeding with for the past 20 years, which we will talk about when we get to uh, uh, breeding behavior. And Chrissy, the last crazy fact about the sense of smell and the mantis shrimp is that they're basically Sampling and looking for odors is up to seven times a second as it flicks and, uh, and moves these uh, these antenna. I mean, just really, really amazing. I mean, who knew? So fun, right? So now you know.
0: <laughs> Three, well, 350 million or 500 million years of evolution. And they have just specialized so much. I mean, it's they're constantly sensing the ocean. I can't wait to get to behavior. And you talk about that fight with the octopus. That was, I I literally when you sent that to me, I'm like, okay, I'm not even gonna give it away. You just talk about it. It was pretty amazing. It was pretty amazing. So with the, I, I think it's just natural for us to talk about. Okay, sensing their environment, they've got the, these antennules or antennae out there sensing things, tasting right? That's how they taste. And now this eyesight, like, wasn't it? I think it was with, it's funny, he's coming up again. You know, Dr. Dawkins, Richard Dawkins, we talked about evolution. It was like, what was the next one? And I think it was towards the end, He was talking about eyesight. The evolution of eyesight is one that confounds us. You know, how did eyes evolve? So I think that was his next challenge uh, that uh, a book he might be working on is talking about that, but it's the most complex eyesight of any animal on earth. It, it, this it, mantis it's insane. Shrimp is
1: out of a sci-fi. I mean, it is. John, the more, the longer I've been with John, the more I've gotten into, or I guess learned to watch some of the sci-fi stuff that he likes. And this, I, this is that, I mean, the peacock mantis shrimp, or mantis shrimp in general have extremely complex eyes. They can see more wavelengths, more colors than us mammals. I mean, they basically are perceiving this environment with these stalked compound eyes that work independently and from delay, one yes. another, so like yeah. a robot. So, you know, like yeah. going cross-eyed, one can go way left and one can go way up or way down. Yeah. They Or they can work together, right, to mm-hmm, spot mm-hmm. prey or whatever, Uh it's just incredible. And they pretty much can scan everything around them without even turning their body. So they can see what's in front of them and what's behind them at the same time. Pretty amazing, Yeah, I think right? it was the
0: ha- the hammerhead shark. I remember we did that a year ago. They could see 360, right? Yeah. That's why the eyes were were out there on, on the side. hammer. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So now the mantis shrimp can see behind them 360. Yeah. You know, these and- two, yeah.
1: And researchers have shown uh, that mantis stri- are capable of processing polarized light
0: and ultraviolet light. Yeah, they see different planes of vision than we can imagine, right? Like, Yeah,
1: yeah. And the other crazy thing is the human eye, we have three color photoreceptors that then help us mm-hmm. make all the colors that we see to the naked human eye. Mantis shrimp, depending on which species they are, have 12 to 16 photoreceptors within each eye.
0: So they see colors. So when I read it, right, so we we have three dogs and like horses and ungulates have two. Butterflies have five. So they see a wide wide range of colors. And they said like butterflies see two ranges of colors that we can't even, we don't have names for them because we can't see them.
1: Like what are they, Chris? And and, and butterflies <laughs> have one of the I best in the world. Colors. I know,
0: butterflies have one of the best color vision seen in the world. It goes from five to almost sixteen with the mantis shrimp. There's nothing in between that. That's how advanced this creature is. The sky. So, yeah, and what they said it, it's deep ultraviolet to far red light that it it it's. And like you said earlier, it, it, the stuff it's that we're learning from them, the technologies that we're developing from them. Interestingly, I read a, a brief snippet that they can see at this, this color uh, range that can detect cancerous cells. Now, the mantis shrimp doesn't do this like, oh, that's cancer and detects it. But th- the range that we're looking at, that their eyesight can, that it's teaching us is we can program that into a camera that can scan cells and to go oh that one's cancerous because it's at a different spectrum of light like insane stuff that we're i
1: can't even i just can't even that's where (laughs) i started i started wanting to know more and i just was like this is a different pod for a different day hands down hands down to you peacock mantis shrimp You are the coolest. Like, you're the coolest. It
0: is. It is. It is. It is so amazing. All right. A couple more facts before we get into the punch, Angie, because we got to – the punch is spectacular too. Uh, The peacock mantis shrimp uh, lives four to six years, but some species can live up to over 20 years, right? I think I read that somewhere.
1: Yes. Some stomatopods can live as long as 20 years or more. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, when we t- once again when we talk about uh, breeding and courtship, some mate for life. So yeah. twenty years, yeah,
0: really cool. Yeah, and they're fast, fast swimmers, thirty to forty body lengths per second. Like if their body lengths, like zoop, they can zip away. I mean, oh, yeah. just just amazing. Now, to introduce this, because I know both of us are going to go back and forth with this. You have words for it. The 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 mantis shrimp. It's this this punch or this spearing. I saw it ca- called the thumb splitter. <laughs> and it is if people handle them and you get hit, they have had reports of it gashing straight down to the bone. So yes. do not pick up or handle mantis shrimp, but this thumb splitter, this...
1: That's their nickname. Ins- mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, this insane... One of way they hunt oh we got it yeah let's go let's go let's yeah start.
1: <laughs> well just because i want to give all the mantis shrimp a shout out even though we are talking about the peacock mantis shrimp today in general of the 450 or so species of mantis shrimp there's two classifications of how they do this fast feeding strike so there's either your spears or your smashers and the difference is going to be based on the shape of this raptorial claw and the way in which the mantis shrimp uses it. The end of the raptorial appendage is more straight and sword-like, in lined with sharp spines, uh, which are especially elongated to help reach its prey. And the barb tips at the end work almost like a spear, wooden fishing, and the mantis shrimp will do this fast punch-like motion but actually spear the shrimp or spear the fish and snag the potential prey and then eat it. An example of this is going to be the zebra mantis shrimp, which I was like, oh, there's a peacock, there's a zebra. (laughs) Oh, man, I love these guys, right? Uh, Uh, And so uh, they still punch really fast and all that. It's just they're more spearing. Now, the other type of fast feeding strike is the smasher. And the smasher is going to be an example of the peacock mantis shrimp. And so what this is, is the raptorial appendage is folded and the arms are modified at the end so that there's like a heavy calcified heel or hammer at the end that uh, instead of spearing their prey, just smash it or club it, ambush it, hammer it, whack it. I mean, any kind of fun Pokemon type terminology <laughs> that you can come yeah, up with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they just they just beat it uh, and to death or stun it uh, with the blow. And so it's a different type of feeding. So you've got your smashers versus your spears, but we're gonna focus today on the peacock mantis shrimp, and so we're gonna be focusing on the smashing uh technique.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of it the, the physiology is very similar, but it's you know, like Angie said, this the speed at which it delivers has been measured around fifty miles per hour or close to a hundred kilometers per hour, and it's like you know, faster than we blink, like t- fifty times faster than we blink our eyes. It's it's instantaneous. Uh, it, the force the, the fo-
1: of eight thousand Gs.
0: Yeah, fifteen thousand newtons, whatever that is. I mean, equal to two thousand five hundred times the shrimp's weight. It is insane. And what gets me with this because I was so excited about this is this cavitation bubble that it that it creates that that is the 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 scientist in me that just I was like, how is this? How can they do this? And how does this happen? But what it is is when they release and I'll, we'll talk about the physiology here in a sec but it va- it's so fast the friction vaporizes the water which then implodes so that creates this high heat that is the temperature of the sun which is over 10,000 degrees fahrenheit or 5,600 degrees celsius and there's also this flash of light, and all of this hits their prey, right? Not only is that the the impact of the blow with the hammer, but it's this cavitation bubble that stuns its prey. On top of that, and and then they're 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 able to grab it and eat it, right? Like,
1: yeah, it's just crazy. It make it can make the water boil around
0: uh around the area where it punches. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> That's insane. It's insane. It's there's the snapping shrimp, which I was doing a little bit of the research. So I was like, okay, I can't go there. The snapping shrimp, they are the the next closest to the mantis shrimp, where when they close their claw, it creates plasma. It's so fast. So maybe okay. that's for next year. In a year, yeah. we'll do that one. But the mantis shrimp, it's still that cavitation bubble is insane. Like it's insane.
1: The friction in the water basically rips the water water molecules apart and creates this vacuum or this bubble, <laughs> it's, and then and then it implodes with heat, power, and light. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's like good luck. I see that coming at
1: me. I mean, it's just <sighs> it was so fun to watch a lot of the videos of the researchers mm-hmm. uh, slowing it down uh, and and really trying to study the mechanisms behind it and just, yeah, the slow-mo, which it's, it's actually hard to get the slow-mo because uh, so it's fast. so fast. Right. Yeah. And you know, it's not like me like running and jumping in the air or something. And that's pretty easy to get in slow-mo. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's just, it was incredible. The videos were incredible. But then Chris, the physiologist and physiologist to me is like, well, how, how, <laughs> I mean, like, they, yeah, I mean, how? and they, I mean, they're not, I mean, this, these front rep, appendages are folded, dactyl, whatever you want to call them. They look like mantis, like a praying mantis. They're folded up and they're bigger than like some of the other feeding appendages, but they're not, it's not like crazy Popeye arms. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, I'm exce- mm-hmm, I was like, mm-hmm. okay, is it a bigger muscle? Like what is going on here? How are they able to move this quickly, this sudden burst of, of power?
0: well so uh, that's where i kind of i i went down a little bit of a rabbit hole and to explain some of this and again what we're learning from the mantis shrimp is so my first question was how do they not implode their their own shell because they're an invertebrate so they're covered in in a shell right so the material composition of the mantis shrimp shell enables it to to hit so hard that it doesn't hurt itself and we're studying that especially like military use for light body armor uh, or other composite materials that we can make super strong i mean s- scientists are studying these these animals that's one of the things they're teaching us so this shell is is so made in such a way with crystalline hard calcium phosphate which is like human bone chitin which is what we found so that's the bipolymer fiber we found in in shells of crustaceans and insects so these layers and the way they're they're distributed make it extremely hard right to where they can they can impact other things and not hurt themselves but also that plays into the development of the energy that is allowing them to reach out and strike. So the best way I, that I read to explain this is, is a bit like a bow and arrow. So when somebody okay. pulls back, a bow, right? With tremendous amount of force and they're, they're creating a lot of energy in that tension of that bow. When the archer releases the arrow, all of that energy in that bowstring string propels the arrow forward, right? That's where the force is coming in. So with the mantis shrimp, it's similar to that where it ratchets back, this hammer locked into, God, it was a U, right? Like the the bottom, if you think of a, what would you say? Upside down U, mm-hmm. the lower portion's the hammer. Mm-hmm. Okay. The top portion is, a, again, this hard shell with a saddle in it that looks like a horse saddle at the tip. It ratchets back that bottom part of the U and locks it in place. When it does that, the muscles contracted. You have the shell and the four, and, and they're still studying this because they fully don't fully comprehend it. But this is what what I've read and what we understand of it so far. So when it locks into place, so that bottom part of the U is locked into place. When the mantis shrimp strikes and releases it, it's like a four. They the scientists have been able to slow it down enough that it's like almost a four part. You know, they they unlock it. There's like a, a, a a millisecond, millisecond, millisecond pause, and then bam, out it goes, and then they'll lock it back in place. So it is all of that energy of the outer shell with the muscle that, once it's released, bam—that's how it generates so much force. So I hope I did that justice because it, it is a lot of physics, a lot of polymer science as far as you know the outer layers. The inner layers they talked about do sometimes get cracks, but they that they it heals and, and makes it more strong. I mean, there's all these polysaccharide chitins that they're studying and different shock absorbers and structures in there that we're still learning from that create it. But in essence, it's like a bow and arrow you pull back, it's locked into place. As soon as it lets go, all that force is released. And then it does it again and again and again.
1: Yeah, it's just incredible. I mean, you did a great job, I think, of uh, describing it. And just uh, if you are interested in a little bit more detail, we'll put it on our show notes. But mm-hmm. but I listened to a super fascinating TED Talk by uh, Dr. Sheila uh, Patek. Uh, and it's called Sheila Patek, Measuring the Fastest Animal on Earth. And what she found is a, l- a little further towards the body on the raptorial appendage is there's this like curve shape or saddle shape groove in all the species of mantis shrimp. And so she said this, you know, this has to be important for something. And her team basically was able to secure an amazing uh, uh, camera that could slow down the punch at like uh, two 20,000 frames per second or something crazy. And this saddle shape area, they uh, found out was, Basically, uh, the tissue around it was movable and it was sur- surrounded by this membranous tissue. And the slow, the slow speed video showed that the saddle part of the raptorial appendages, not the punching part, but the part further, further back on the arm is, will like actually bit, move slightly. Not a lot. Mm. Uh, like Chris said, it has to be hard, right? So it doesn't like hurt itself. Um, But it hyperextends and compresses and functions basically like a spring, which might sound boring to you. But all of these um, physical engineers that work with a lot of materials, material science, science are super excited because this is called a hyperbolic paraboloid structure. And it's the first of this kind described in nature. So people that build things, really cool things probably out of like plastics and metals and whatnot and understand this type of spring mechanism, but they had never seen it. And Dr. Sheila paycheck and her team explored that and found it. And she's super cool. So that Ted talk is fun. And then um, even more recently, a team at Harvard has basically been trying to understand Chris touched on a little bit, that brief millisecond pause in between uh, when the latch does release and then the actual arm punches out because it's they don't really under it's like it they explain it, it's like well it's like a mouse trap like it should when when the bait is pulled it should just it should move right it should, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm, trap should mm-hmm. shut down or the arm the arm should move but there is this little delay and so these harvard these brilliant minds at harvard are using ultra high speed camera to try to figure out what this delay is and yeah they're yeah. And they're basically built this tiny little 1.5 gram shrimp scale robot. Like that's how much science, like Harvard scientists are building mantis shrimp
0: robots robots to
1: try to figure out how, and and the robot can't get as fast as they, they can. So there's that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the robot cannot go as fast as they can go, but they're still trying, they're trying to understand, understand it. And it's just, it just exemplifies how incredibly the mantis shrimp is. And, how the physiological feat not only of their eyesight, but also of how they basically capture their prey. It's just mm-hmm. it's
0: biology it's and nature. Yeah. It is yes,
1: uh, like these yeah. brilliant minds are like we need to know more about this so yeah. we can, you know, so we can utilize it. Just
0: it's so nuts. cool. It, and, is,
1: and, it is. And the mantis shrimp still has secrets that they're not sharing with us. You know, like yeah, they haven't figured, no, they, haven't know, figured yeah. they haven't figured it all out. It's yeah. just so cool.
0: Just yeah, just. A, a lot of uh, physics and stuff going on with it. It's just amazing. And then what what they're hunting for, it's going to depend on the mantis shrimp. I mean, they do go after crabs and snails and, uh, you know, other clams, smaller crustaceans. They do, do eat squid or fish or worms. You know, the spears will will spear them. Uh, so they, they eat a wide variety of, of creatures in there. And they're critical, critical, critical to food webs. I mean, very, very an important predator. They aren't preyed on as much. There was a report of finding mantis shrimp in yellowfin tuna. Uh, you know, larger reef fish may eat some of the smaller ones. Uh, but they do burrow to hide. Angie's going to get into a little bit of this um, uh, behavior, but there's stomatopod rumbles that we opened up with warn predators away. So you know they they can be uh, eaten by other things in the sea, but they do humans do eat them from Hawaii into Asia. So they are on the menu too, and that that has a having some impact on their conservation. Behavior, I don't know. <laughs> Where do you even go with that? I mean, we've talked a lot about just the 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 physiology and stuff, but there's still so many cool things these things do.
1: Oh yes, yeah. so one of my favorites is a new behavior for me because once again, I'm not an invertebrate expert. Surprise, surprise! But uh, it's called the Merrill spread. M e r a l. Yes. And. Yes. <laughs> It's so fun. Uh, Mm -hmm. And basically what they'll do is this pot, this displaced posture will where they'll pop out of their little burrow because they do spend most of their days and nights hiding out in this burrow um, at the base of corals. And depending on the species, they can be uh, they act during the day or at night or, you know, uh, dusk and dawn. So it just depends on the species and like what they're hunting and how they're hunting. But one of the times they will pop out of their burrow when they're not hunting is to basically tell other other mantis shrimp or creatures in general uh that this is their territory. In fact, um mantis shrimp are are pretty territorial um uh, when it comes to defending their little burrow and their little house. And the marrow display is super cute they basically pop about three quarters way out of their out of their burrow and in the marrow display posture they kind of just hold their own they make themselves look bigger and it basically the maryl spot is like this black spot or different colored spot that can be seen on the raptorial appendages and they kind of just basically like show it off like just so you know I can reach the temperature of the sun with these things. So, <laughs> yes. I mean, do you want to go or, do, you know, put up your dukes? Like, do you want to go or mm-hmm. don't you want to go? And so, yeah, they'll, they'll use it mostly in um, anti-predator defense What um, or uh, conspecific specific Territorial defense, defense um, among each other, and then in courtship as well too is kind of showing off. So it's it's a fun behavior, and I yeah I had never heard of the mayoral spread. So, but other than that, they have a ton of other behaviors: they, uh, grooming, uh, making these burrows, so um, evacuation and maintenance, uh, keeping the burrow clean, and searching for food and displays and courtship and just, just, they're fun. I mean, they're, they're fun to watch and I love watching them swim. As Chris mentioned, they, I mean, they, they can walk on the ground around the corals, but they can also zip along and swim very well. Uh, they're just so unique, but what has been recorded as far as um, territorial behavior is some pretty like complex social um, behaviors that include aggression and uh, mating rituals. So, I mean, they, they, for an invertebrate or an animal in general, they, they have a, a pretty rigorous um, complex social behaviors. And I, I always have a slide when I'm prepping uh, for this podcast where I like to talk about animal intelligence and, and what we know and what we don't know when um, intelligence isn't necessarily the right word all the time. But I mean, for mantis shrimp, Compared to a lot of other crustaceans, they have very complex, aggressive behaviors during uh, territorial defense of their their burrow. And there's several mantis shrimp species that have been able to show time and time again individual recognition of other mantis shrimps. They can learn and remember well and understand which neighbors are Enemies in which neighbors are not, who they should interact positively with, or who is an aggressive, you know, uh, uh, an aggressive creature that needs a marrow display. So researchers hypothesized that they can that they can recognize individuals by both smell and visual signs. So they just have these complex social behaviors to to ward out rivals and keep mm-hmm. them away from their burrow, just.
0: Really on top cool. of the rumbling and everything else yeah the displays Ooh, yeah.
1: yeah well you just read yeah. you know and then so yeah. then when we talked about like communication mm-hmm. uh besides the olfactory communication and stuff like that uh they make this really interesting rumble sound and we opened with it because it just once again just it's just out of this world totally sci-fi I, who knew that the mantis shrimp could make this noise and The mantis shrimp is able to make these rumbles or vibration, uh, these sounds, uh, by a series of uh, muscle contractions. And it creates basically this vibration through the water or or noise. And there was a cool study that found that these mantis shrimp basically have their own voice to communicate. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> yes, the research team found that the rumbles could be synchronized. synchronized. To use like a, you know, like a, a space term or whatever, I think we're like at the frontier or we're just we're just starting yeah. to learn about how these animals communicate and that they have what we think their own voice and so that's when we talk about intelligence. I mean, you probably don't think of lobsters or shrimp or which the mantis shrimp is neither, but this crustacean as intelligent but i think if we back take a couple steps back and 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 really look at it it, it's it's so unique and i mean they're very they're really individualized and they have complex Mm -hmm. social individual behaviors really cool stuff really
0: cool. they do they do they do they do now leading into repro because again like you talked about living up to 20 years how do these things reproduce you know how's a mantis shrimp that's it's different f- from what we normally cover
1: right so fun and uh I just I once again this could be its own podcast because invertebrate um breeding behavior is so different uh, from a lot of the mammals that we talk about but in general mantis shrimp mate, spawn, brood, and then hatch their eggs inside their burrows. So it does make the process harder for research scientists to observe all of it. Um, But what we do know is they're typically more reproductively active, and this is for all species in general, when uh, the weather, the water's warmer, so during the warmer months, and... They don't really think there's a seasonality to it, except for when when it's a little bit warmer. But more specifically, the strategy um, for stomatopods uh, for their breeding is going to vary somewhat from species to species. And so in the peacock mantis shrimp to attract species, uh, the male is going to dig a a U-shaped burrow in the sand, kind of near the coral or the reef's edge, and it'll stay there and basically try to attract mates. Uh, the male peacock, mantis shrimp will use that marrow spread to basically show all of the legs and and do some whirling. And um, researchers think probably uh, send out some chemical signals to the female saying that, you know, I'm beautiful and I have big appendages. Look at them almost like a peacock, right? Yeah, uh, with yeah. their feathers. And... Uh, so that'll attract a female and several species of mantis shrimp have, um, multiple partners throughout their lives. Um, but some peacock mantis shrimp in general will form monogamous pair bonds and which means they'll mate for life with a peacock mantis shrimp. They'd live anywhere from four to six years. And so they'll only have the one partner and they'll come together for breeding.
0: There's so many implications in that, though, when you really think about it. I mean, no, sorry to interrupt you because no, I'm just i listening to you and thinking about it. Here's a mantis shrimp, a crustacean, not a shrimp, but it, it, a lobster-like creature. You know, we know birds mate for life, like the albatross. I remember we covered them way, way back. And they, they somehow find them themselves at the same time, coming back after gliding for months and months and months or soaring months and months and months out in the ocean. Here's a mantis shrimp that mates for life. There's a, there's, there's so many implications in that.
1: Chris, right now there are mantis shrimp out there that have been dating longer than John and I. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's like Yeah. It's
1: like, I mean, we, I mean, that is intense, right?
0: Yeah, it's, there's a lot. I mean, of I love you, John. I'm not saying
1: that. it's it's not intense yeah. being in a relationship with you for yeah. you know 13 years or however long it's yeah. been, but like, I mean, for this, a
0: mantis shrimp, a yes. crustacean, yes. to recognize their mates, to cognitive think about it, it's not. So it gives you when you really think about it and you really start broadening your mind, and you're like, okay, there's a lot of behavioral, but there's a lot of neurology brain function going on there when you're mating for life at this level of an organism. That's what I'm just like fascinated again, another fascinating thing. Yeah. yeah, Thank
1: you. Yeah. It's just so fun. It's so fun. Uh, And so once again, that's going to depend on the species Um, in the peacock mantis shrimp. They've seen some um, monogamous relationships, but they've also seen uh, having several partners too. So yeah, there's, so there's like individuality, right? I mean, mm-hmm, it's just mm-hmm. awesome. But in regards to the actual breeding details, which I also found this super fascinating, peacock mantis shrimp or mantis shrimp in general will breed via internal fertilization. So how this happens is the male does have paired testes. And on his last pair of his walking legs, he has a um a penis. it's called which can transfer sperm to the genital slit of a female as they copulate. Now the female peacock mantis shrimp is just so cool. She's just she's mm-hmm. just rad mm-hmm. and let me tell you why. So she holds onto the male sperm for a while I don't understand the physiology of it. I tried to look it up, and I just was like, "My God, I need to be an invertebrate biologist." Uh, and John's like, "You cannot go back to school anymore." And I'm like, "I know. I just need to read more books." <laughs> but yeah, at any rate, <laughs> so I don't fully understand. But she she stores the sperm, and then when it's time to spawn, she releases her eggs. Uh, you know, it can be a couple hundred, depending on the species. She releases the eggs along with the sperm. And that's where the fertilization occurs. Okay. So I it's my understanding. And oh my gosh, if you're out there and you know more about this, please, please email me and correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe I, that the actual fertilization happens, sperm and egg come together externally after she spawns. But she holds on to the sperm until she's ready for it to happen. But it should be the female mantis shrimp's choice. Because in a lot of species of mantis shrimp, not all, but in a lot of them, she will actually carry the egg mass inside the female mantis shrimp's ovaries. She has what are known as cement glands that will secrete this glue-like substance that once the eggs are spawned or once they've left her her body uh, during brooding, they, they form this big ball together that is attached to her front legs to create this big egg mass ball that she is completely in charge of. And what she'll do is she will help circulate water around the eggs. She'll groom the eggs. She'll clean them. She make sure that they're, you know, getting the fresh water that they need. She cares for her eggs. And once again, this is not in all of the species. Some species will just leave the eggs in the burrow. But the peacock mantis shrimp is a super mom. She she just, I mean, she holds on to these eggs and Um, The gestation period or how long these eggs she's caring for them can reach anywhere from nine to 60 days, depending on the species. And so what will happen uh, once the uh, peacock mantis shrimp eggs hatch is there's different larval stages. And so, Chris, of the four different uh, larval stages and each stage um, is a stage of development where there's a molt. And it's helping to develop their appendages and and helping them grow. Most of the time this will all happen with them outside of the burrow, but there are some species that will stay in the burrow for their first few phases of the larval stage. So it's just it's really unique depending on the species. But the four main larval stages can take anywhere from one to a few months to complete, depending on the species. And even though, um, they're small, the larval mantis shrimp, um, still basically will use their primitive raptoral appendages to hunt. So, and then they'll sometimes even actually eat other larva. So they're, they're out there, they're fighting to live. They are incredibly, uh, you know, prehistoric looking like yeah, the larva is the larva phase is really fascinating and I'm not doing it justice because uh, it's just not my area of expertise, but it's, it's really fascinating to watch them develop um, outside the water and just do their thing. Um, it's really incredible.
0: Now I, I, I just, I, again, underline, I really hope I get to see these in the wild one day. They're just, they're just so beautiful. And, and fortunately, I mean, these are survivors, like you said, 500 million years, Mantis shrimp have have been around their ancestors, and then these modern uh, mantis shrimp again have been around for millions and millions of years. So fortunately, uh, their least concern. But you know, there's always a caveat uh, today that their numbers are dropping because uh, they are threatened by the aquarium trade and overfishing. Obviously, is having devastating effects, and uh, ocean acidification is having effects. So they again, like all the animals in the ocean, they are in danger of extinction. Uh, But one of the things I read was uh, aquarium traders, they go and they release these underwater cyanide bombs that stun all the reef fish and just actually decimate an entire coral reef. And so we're losing coral reef ecosystems to the aquarium trade. So, tip of the week: If you're involved with that, if you do have an aquarium or especially a saltwater tank, you know, make sure you you, you find out where you're sourcing your animals and things because that is unethical to go in and take these out of the wild. Uh, but luckily, you know, they're 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 doing well. And then I did want to mention really quick in Hawaii. I did mention at the beginning that mantis shrimp have grown to unnatural large sizes. And they believe it's because a lot of their stormwater drains go into their waterways. All the the heavy metals that are washed out into uh, the, the area around Hawaii. So these mantis shrimp, they think, is having some effect. But, you know, things like that. Again, plastics, things that we're talking about, Plastic Free July, all have impacts for the mantis shrimp. Any organizations out there, Angie?
1: Well, Chris, today I really want to highlight FiveGyros.org uh, because the interview is just so incredible. Five Gyros is just an, an amazing nonprofit. The interview that I did last week, I highly recommend checking it out, listening to it, um, helping educate yourself, uh, friends and family, kind of about the plight of our oceans, all creatures uh, invertebrates, vertebrates, vertebrates. Um, and then of course, us humans, as a lot of us consume seafood that are consuming these, um, these microplastics in the ocean. And so they can be found on all social media platforms. And their website is the number five gyres.org. Gyres, so yes, that's a great website. You can really learn a lot. They have tons of things that Uh, you as an individual can do, uh, in ways that you can help in uh, in very, very impactful, impactful ways. And so, yeah, it's just a great group. I love talking with Dr. Lisa Ertle in my interview, uh, this last week. So please check that out. And also Please join us this month at our Plastic Free Eco Challenge. Don't don't worry, you don't have to go plastic free, but uh, go to plasticfree.ecochallenge.org. Search for All Creatures Pod. Uh, Can't wait to have you on the team and just we can learn together, grow together, uh, change some of our behaviors together, help our oceans together, uh, clean up our beaches together. Uh, Just, um, yeah, overall. learn how to help keep our oceans healthy. And of course the peacock mantis shrimp and all the other mantis shrimp out there, because they are just the coolest. Yep.
0: Well, this has been a long one, but it's been well worth it. So I'm just going to sign off there. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. Thank you for sharing. There you go. Listening, caring and sharing. Uh, But, but stay tuned next week. We're going to stick with the ocean. We've got some amazing species coming your way, but thank you so much.
1: Thank you everyone.
0: Listen learn share join the movement at allcreaturespod.com are you looking for a podcast your whole family can enjoy together Uh check out culture kids podcast Our adventures will ignite your curiosity for culture, traditions, languages, geography, and even pop culture with interviews from guests all over the world. Through each episode, we aim to help children become empathetic, creative leaders in their communities and help them see the beauty in our differences. And that's Culture Kids Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.